TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. Stories of that game and what happened in the clubhouse is just fantastic. There's no game that can bleep you like this one. <laughs> it's Roycey on baseball. Let's go here. Manny Hill and Racy wrapping up a fine uh, season of Racy on Baseball podcast. Enjoyed them immensely. Already have signed up Timmy for next year. Tim, awesome. Uh, Tim called, uh, texted me and said, "I'm a, I'm flying." Blah blah blah. And I said, "We're going to give the panelists a uh, a fine thank you, and uh, we'll uh, hopefully do this again next year." And uh, we had a great year with Tom Kelly, of course, and Buster Olney, and uh, hopefully we uh, shall return next season. World Series winding down, uh, and boy, did Houston look like a great baseball team those three days they in did. Washington, man. Uh, and, I, and I think our guy, uh, uh, the uh, second uh, pitcher who came in after Joe Ross, who was the reliever that uh, decided it was a good idea to hang that slider to George. Uh, was uh, that Hudson? Throw that, oh, Hudson threw the fastball. Ross hung the slider yeah. for the two-run homer uh, that made it 4-1. Uh, to one, And then Hudson, Hudson decided that what the hell it was three and two to Springer I'm gonna throw him a fastball and Springer I don't know if the ball's flying in the postseason like it had flown but that one flew that one was uh, yeah. way back in Washington no unbelievable doubter. the Nats uh, looked great for three games come home and uh, you know who I blame Patrick Corbin he comes out and gives up two right off the bat, yeah. And uh, you know the whole pizzazz of uh, this is this is our World Series. We're going to win one here since 1924. Just kind of disappeared. Just took right the air there. right out of the building. And he gives up four runs. He did not pitch good. And uh, after that, and then of course Scherzer shows up with a bad neck. Yeah. Now I wonder with Corbin. If because they were using him in some relief situations, yes, yeah. and I wonder if that kind of threw sometimes him off a little get, bit. Yeah, you know? sometimes uh, Dave Martinez gets too cute. You know, you got those guys out there that some of these relievers are not that bad. They've been used them, but he's uh, he's uh, he's led half his bullpen know that he doesn't want anything to do with them, which mm-hmm. is not really a great idea, right? <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know, it's the two very good teams and. Uh, the, the other thing uh, Houston did is they got Rendon out. You know, I mean, Rendon. Yeah. They need Rendon hitting, and uh, Houston needed everybody hitting, except Altuve was the only one basically doing much, and now he's uh, he's been great. And uh, what, a, what a fantastic player he is. That is oh, he's amazing. That's a hell of a baseball team. I would like to see. I wouldn't bet my life savings against Strasburg, though. Well, he he's, could, he's, he's he'll pitch. He's pitched way better than Verlander. Yeah, he has. And Strasburg, I mean, he's kind of low key been their best starting pitcher yes, in has. this in this postseason yeah. run. I mean, Scherzer hasn't well, he's been, been terrible, better but... than he's actually been better than Scherzer this season. Yeah, Scherzer missed a period of time and right. with the bad back and all, a bad neck or whatever it is. Uh, and Strasburg is a free agent, right? This winter? He can be. He can be. He can I, opt out. And I think there's a very good chance he's going to opt <laughs> yeah. out. And uh, Washington will probably just try to throw. Another eighty million for two years on the back end of this thing, and he mm-hmm. might stay there. But he's a stud, man. He's he's, a horse. he's incredible. He's a horse, and he's a guy that'll pull a Randy Johnson if if they would somehow win Tuesday, mm-hmm. and you get to the eighth inning, 
Wednesday. He'll he might come in and give, he'll you, come in give and get you the last. Two. He'll get you the last four outs. <laughs> he'll uh, he'll do what Randy Johnson did down in Arizona, or more famously, you know, he's not going to give you five pitching the day before like Bumgarner did. Yeah. But uh, he, you he'll know, do that. looking at him and you know Garrett Cole in, the, in this sense too of. A lot of times, Pat, you see those pitchers that get drafted really high and they flame out and they're not mm-hmm. very good. But Strasburg has yeah, he's 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 and, lived and up he, to and it. And he had Tommy John, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he, I mean, he, yeah. he had Tommy John. He's lived and, up to it. Garrett Cole, they, same thing. That's why they wouldn't pitch him when they had their first chance to. Oh, yeah, yeah. They, they, that's sh- why they, they shut him they down. They shut him yeah. down. And yep. a lot of people, they got a lot of abuse about that. But. Uh, yeah, he'll uh, he'll 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 be the horse of horses. Now the question is, who's spending money out there this winter? Uh, Boston says they're cutting payroll. The Dodgers are already, you know, as much as they, you know, they almost drew four million, and mm-hmm. as much as they rake in, they're spending two hundred million on their stadium. <laughs> and yeah. uh, you wonder if they're going to go huge. Yankees and, and the Yankees, I can't. You know, I saw Buster tweet out this morning that the Yankees have discussed uh, parting ways with Larry Rothschild. Oh, they did get rid of him. Or the, well, I, they, I, they fired him. Did they? Did they fire yeah, him? They too? fired him. Yeah. Okay. And he's, he's a, supposedly going to end up in Philly with Girardi. So okay. Hmm. Still waiting to find out if Derek Shelton gets a job. I would guess that uh, Pittsburgh just fired Huntington mm-hmm. today. After saying they were sticking with them, so they're basically starting their process all over again. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, Twins uh, news, a lot of Twins news already. There's going to be a lot more. We're going to talk to Thad Levine, the general manager. Uh, You know, they've lost James Rousen, could lose Derek Shelton. Uh, and you got all these coaching staff changes going on around the league, so it'll probably be a while before they name a – a hitting coach. They certainly will want to keep Rudy Hernandez, though, yeah. as the number two guy, if not the number one, because his relationship with the uh, with the increasingly Hispanic roster is uh, fantastic. Those guys love him, and he works with them great, and he works with them endlessly. So uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully somebody doesn't come in here and rate him from Rudy. It's always tough to lose coaches, but you know when that happens. That's, That's it's, a good sign. It's, it's a good sign. It means things are going good, and other teams think very highly of what you've done, and one, there you go. Uh, and I got one question for you. You're very yes, much a basketball expert. Did last night we see Wiggy becoming a three-point marksman? Is he going to be a <laughs> sharpshooter? I think. I wonder if somebody told him that LeBron James had suddenly rejoined the Miami Heat or something, and maybe that's why he stepped up in the fourth <laughs> quarter. Because, <laughs> you know, every he time made, LeBron's in the building, you know. He made three straight threes. Unbelievable. Yeah. Corzo's having an aneurysm today. He's so upset. <laughs> we don't have Corzo anymore, but I would have liked to have been sitting next to him. As all of a sudden, Wiggy is lighting up the arena. Yeah. All right, Thad Levine coming up. Planning for a secure future requires sound investment advice. That's why I rely on my guy, Mr. Money Talk, Josh Arnold, for guidance in planning and maintaining a long-term financial strategy. This is Ricey, and I've known Josh for many years. I trust Josh and recommend him because he listens and delivers the kind of service that you'll need to feel confident about your financial future. I encourage you to get to know him the same way I did many years ago. Call Josh Arnold at 952 952- 
952-925-5608 and set up your 48-minute no-obligation consultation. Call 952-925-5608. You'll always get straight talk, not sugar-coated advice. Call Mr. Money Talk, Josh Arnold at 952-925-5608. Investment advisor services offered by Josh Arnold Investment Consultant, LLC, a registered advisor in the state of Minnesota. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All investments involve risk. Thad Levine is with us, uh, Twins general manager. It does not have to be a shock to a general manager of a team that won 101 road games to see the road teams 5-0 and in the World Series, I would imagine, huh? Yes, it's remarkable to watch. You know, when when you prognosticate all these things, you, you try to monitor ebbs and flows of momentum. And certainly <laughs> when Washington went up 2-0 on the road, you, you think they're in the driver's seat. But I think for those of us who've watched this season, you just would never count out Houston. Uh, what a talented team top to bottom. And the resiliency they had fighting back in game three, it almost felt like the tides turned right there. Uh, and then now, as you just mentioned, the road team's 5-0. and oh. So I guess for, for that reason alone, Washington probably feels like they've got a sign of life. <laughs> but I think even more so the fact that they've got Steven Strasburg and ideally Max Scherzer able to be healthy and ready to go Game 7. Hard to count them out at this point. I think Major League Baseball fans are getting just what they'd hoped for, which is a real, a real great battle between two juggernauts for hopefully seven games. Uh, when you see that starting pitching, Thad, uh, you must feel like there's some even with a 101 win team, you must feel like there's some work to do, huh? Well, I think that's our jobs is to constantly evaluate. I, I think on one side of the coin, you cannot overlook the strength of our team for the 162. We, we, we did perform very well really across all units of, the, of our team. The, the starters were very competitive in the American League, and certainly the, the offense was as well. I think then you do have to recognize when you get into the playoffs, only the best of the best are still there. So what may have been a competitive advantage, which we believe our starting rotation was in the regular season, may no longer prevail as such a, a demonstrative competitive advantage when you're just comparing yourself at that time to New York, Houston, and Tampa. Tampa Bay, the, the four remaining teams in the ALDS. So I think that is our focus this offseason, is to evaluate how we can continue to p- compete in the 162 and put ourselves in a position to win the Central, but then also once we get into the playoffs, ideally be even more competitive than we were in 2019. Uh, from the outside, uh, with Odorizzi being a free agent and, uh, and Gibby situation, and Pineda's situation, there's really only, the, the, those of us trying to write down the roster for next year are only writing down Barrios as a starter at this point. Uh, is there anyone uh, on the rise here that uh, we uh, should be uh, looking out for within the organization? Well, I think it's a very fair statement. It's, it's tough to get out your pen and write down too many names, maybe a few in pencil, <laughs> but I think we're, we're viewing it similarly. You know, we, we have Barrios certainly locked into a spot. We're having conversations with some of the guys who are matriculating to free agency and hopefully we we will continue those conversations moving forward but i do think we we felt very good about the young core of starters who came up towards the end of the year whether that was smeltzer thorpe dobnak poppin stewart we we do have this stable of guys who are sitting at triple a and then the the team at pensacola was extremely competitive on the starting pitching front some of those guys will start the year at triple a and hopefully represent uh, the next line of defense for us. I'm not sure how many of those guys will truly contend for opening day 2020, but I do think we're hopeful that some of those guys will be 
mixed into the group come middle of the season or towards the end of the season. So we, we recognize we're going into the offseason with a clear need at starting pitching. We do think the talent is bright on the horizon for us starting pitching-wise. The question will be how many of those guys are ready to compete opening day 2020 and for throughout the whole season. And when you look at a guy like Bruzdar, uh, certainly with that stuff, but uh, the the workload of innings this year would uh, not uh, be conducive to a guy being in your rotation from uh, uh, April 1st till uh, the end of September. So uh, that's uh, some of those uh, fellas you just got to look at that way, I would think. Well, I, I think you bring up a great point about Gratterall. He, he came back from an injury this year, ended up pitching very competitively down the stretch, and then ultimately in the big leagues for us. And, and quite frankly, was one of our pitchers in the postseason who performed quite well. So I think the arrow is definitely pointing up with him. We're going to have to really focus our attention this offseason as to how to get the most innings out of him with the highest level of quality that we can. But that's kind of where the game has shifted now, where we don't necessarily have to label guys starters and relievers. He may be somewhere in between when all is said and done. But I think undoubtedly he can help us win games at the major league level. He'll have to compete for a spot, but I think we and all the fans in the Twin Cities are hopeful that he is one of those guys who seizes one of the spots in our 12 to 13 man staff starting next year. Okay, so uh, just to straighten out all of us uh, here in the Twin Cities, particularly Sid and me, how are we going to pronounce the uh, name of that uh, young man of an Eastern European descent who made a big rise as a starting pitcher for you? This you year? know, that that's a great question. Uh, I just call him Jordan. It's the safest <laughs> way to go about it. Um, Blazovic, maybe? You know, I, you yeah. know we, every, every time we have a conversation in-house, uh, somebody's correcting somebody else, and, <laughs> and, and emphatically. So uh, certainly some Something we're going to have to iron out. Yeah. He, he had a the blazer. Meteoric. How about the blazer? We can yeah, call. that's a great call. <laughs> he had a meteoric rise this year, and I think those are the stories that you really cherish because, you know, we've we've often spoken when we've spoken to fans about the fact that it's it's really risky to name prospects and ask your fans to wait on a specific guy because uh, guys' progress ebbs and flows. And I think when you look at a guy like Jordan, he he really made such a huge stride this year. He was a high school draft out of Canada. Our, our scouts did such a tremendous job up there. And I think then the pitching programming and our and player development department, uh, Jordan has really embraced. And I think from you know end of season last year to end of season this year, he may be one of the prospects who's most prominently risen on our boards. He's a guy that was asked about a lot at the trading deadline last year. Uh, we were very disinclined to talk to other clubs about him because we think this is a guy who could be helping us at the major league level and climbing a rotation ideally very soon. I thought one of the most impressive things about Rocco and the whole organization was the offseason last year, the outreach that took place. There's a story about uh, Wes and other guys going down to see Duffy in Houston and saying, if you do this, uh, you can really become a good relief pitcher, uh, visiting Miguel in the Dominican. You got a guy like Fernando Romero, and there's a lot more there than we saw this year. I would imagine he's one of those uh, type of guys that you guys target to uh, have a good offseason and uh, figure it out. Well, and, and I think you bring up a great point, Royce, which is that we can't have that just be our first offseason plan. We, we do aspire to get as connected to guys 
uh, this offseason as we can. Uh, you know, another great story from last year was Mitch Garver and the work yes, that, yes. That, that Bill Evers and, and Tanner Swanson did with him in the offseason and ultimately that Mitch embraced and just the huge strides we saw from him both defensively and offensively this year, quite frankly. But Romero, I think, was a, a very under-the-radar but great story. Came up and struggled throughout the course of the season in his few stints in the big leagues. Uh, but the minor league coaching staff uh, and our scouts advocated for us bringing him back up. Rocco and West were very open-minded to see him again towards the end of the season. And he came up and he pitched well. So he, he ends the season with, with some level of momentum. And I think uh, hopefully feeling he can go into this offseason and, and view a path where he could really help this team. You, you mentioned it earlier. We don't have too many guys in our stable of arms who have better stuff than Fernando Romero. We would love for him to be part of this team moving forward. And uh, last year, uh, you guys uh, down there in January, actually, I think it started, was that uh, pitching seminar almost. It lasted a week. Uh, all your people, you know, some of your young pitchers were in there uh, and some guys with a little more experience. Uh, is that still on the table for this year? We've, we've already started some of those programs okay. uh, through our minor league. Uh, we're using Fort Myers as extensively as we possibly can. You know, once the season ends, you try to give guys a little bit of downtime. So our initial programming down there has been a little bit more offensive focused. But I think when the when the, the pitchers have had a chance to rest their arms a little bit, we're going to start ramping up the, the programming down there. And I, I did give those guys just such a great amount of credit uh, for doing that, both the players for investing it in the staff for, for committing their time and their creativity. I do think we think that really helped guys. And, you know, our goal is to add a, out of each of those camps, get one more guy in the fold than you would have expected. And if you got one more guy in the pipeline through every one of those camps, you're going to be in a great position depth-wise to make it through the, the rigors of a major league season. And uh, Thad Levine's with us, Twins general manager. We, we talk a lot about the younger guys, uh, you know, or the less experienced guys and the improvements they made. But to me, one of the uh, the great improvements was Oda Rizzi, the consistency he showed because, uh, you know, last year was uh, not uh, not what you'd hoped after he started off well. And uh, he was, you know, it might not be seven innings, but uh, what, he's pitched, what he pitched for you this year was a lot better than it was the year before. Well, he's a bona fide all-star. And, you yeah. know, from start to finish of the year, uh, he, he and uh, – Burrios were certainly our most consistent starters, uh, and and really positioned us to win the American League Central. And and you know just I think he's a perfect example of the constant thirst for learning of some of the best players in the game. Uh, he had a lot of conversations with Kyle Gibson, who who made a nice leap in his own career in 2018, and really delved into that. And how did that come to pass? And then he invested himself similarly off season in 2018, going into 2019, and really made some prominent strides. He changed his pitch mix. He changed his delivery a little bit and the net effect of that was he picked up a little velocity and he really picked up productivity I think as you mentioned you know no one's harder uh, of a critic of Jake Odorizzi than Jake was himself the 2018 season which I think on paper looked just fine uh, he felt was substandard for himself and was representing a downturn in his career and he was not comfortable with that and he really doubled down on his development last offseason and, and it truly paid off both for him and quite frankly for our team and for our fans what a thrill to watch him pitch throughout the course of the season. As you mentioned, it's not the guy who goes the deepest in the games, but he certainly gives you a lot of quality while he was out there. And he towed the rover every fifth day, which was a, a boon for the Minnesota Twins. Uh, Royce Lewis, MVP in the Fall League. He had a little period this year uh, early when uh, he went about two weeks without getting a hit. And uh, uh, and then all of a sudden he turned it around, was uh, re- pretty terrific the uh, last 
half of the regular season, and then he goes to uh, the Fall League and ripped it up. How much did he play center field there? Just a little? or No, he, he played all over the diamond. Okay. You know, the way the Fall League works is every team is given a player that they can prioritize their position. We had done that with Alex Kirilov, so our, our priority position was outfield and and then uh, Kirilov, we decided ultimately to rest his wrist and put him in the best position to come into camp competing for a job for next year. And so then we had Royce Lewis on the team, but we didn't have a priority position as shortstop. So Royce in high school had played some center field, actually done that all the way up through his senior year uh, when he converted to being a shortstop. So he was very comfortable out there. And I think one thing you see when the best players are around the best competition, they really do rise to the occasion. We saw that with Royce last year when he was promoted to Pensacola and they were in a playoff race. He really stepped up his performance and was very formidable in the playoffs for them. And then we saw it again in the Fall League here. And I think that's such a bright sign for the future for, for that young man. You know, We have to keep in mind when we draft players who are in high school, they're, they're 18 years old. And there's a lot of developing, not only as a player, but as a, as a man. And I think we're seeing that right before our eyes with, with Royce. He's really coming into his own performance-wise. These things don't happen overnight, but I think he's giving us a glimpse of what it's going to be like when he gets to the big leagues, which is I think he'll be a, a, a truly a, an impact player for this franchise for years to come. Kirilov had, of course, that injury and then had a fantastic uh, postseason and late season for Pensacola. Do you uh, feel uh, just as good about him as you did a year ago? I do. And, you know, the amazing thing about Alex is, you know, the numbers weren't quite as robust in the first half of the season as they had been in previous years for him. But, you know, the nature of that injury was significant. And the amazing thing was how well he performed down the stretch and in the playoffs, considering the nature of that injury. And he was able to overcome uh, that adversity, which was which was excellent. So I think we, we dabbled with him at first base. We know he can play corner outfield. Uh, I think this guy is going to be a real professional hitter. He's his maturity is well beyond his years. His maturity as an offensive player is well beyond his years. He's, he is a pure hitter. Uh, where he ends up playing, I think, will be the only question mark. That I think we feel very confident in the bat. Uh, Luis Arise, uh, when he came up the first time, people were uh, so uh, not bored by it, but uh, not uh, focused on it that we didn't even know how to pronounce his name. We were calling him Arias there for a while. Uh, and he came up, he stayed for a week, he hit, and then he uh, went, and then when he came back, he uh, was terrific. Is, is he an indication that you guys will uh, not just follow the everybody has to go up one stop in the organization? If a kid is, uh, you know, if, if you think he's prepared to play, uh, can he come up at 21 or 22? I'd say yes. You know, I think some of those things are circumstantial, and we had a few injuries that paved the way for him to come up and have every day at bats. But with regards to Luis specifically, I just want to reference Mike Radcliffe has been someone who was involved in his signing when he signed um, was signed by Jose Leon out of uh, Venezuela when he was 16 years old, and he's been one of his biggest supporters. And we really rely on Mike Radcliffe as one of the senior most scouts in our organization. He was one who said two years ago that when and if uh, Brian Dozier leaves for free agency, this is the guy who's going to replace him. Wow. At that time, we had a lot of middle infielders who were very well regarded in the industry from a talent standpoint. And I don't think Mike was meaning to denigrate any of them. I think he was just elevating how advanced he felt Luis's field of hit was and his bat was. And this is a player who, in my opinion, 
always has played at levels in the minor leagues where there have been prospects who've gained a little bit more notoriety, and all he's ever done is outperform every one of them. And, and he did it again last year at the big league level. Uh, some of our fans and you know some of even people in the front office may have viewed him coming out of nowhere. I think he didn't feel he was coming out of nowhere. I think he felt he was exactly where he was supposed to be. And it's crazy to say this. Uh, you know, five years ago, we certainly wouldn't have, but he's a bit of a throwback player where yes. his lead tool is his contact and his bat and his ability to use the entire diamond. And it's really, quite frankly, fun to watch him uh, dissect the defense and try to attack them. And he came up and was just such such a uh, shot in the arm for our, our offense when he came up in a little bit of a change of pace from all the power we had top to bottom. How many, uh, without naming them, I wouldn't expect you to, how many players do you feel like you absolutely, positively have to promote to the 40-man to keep them out of the Rule 5 draft? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's a great question. We, we, that, that answer would have been very different around the trading deadline, but we actually started uh, bleeding a few of those guys into the major leagues last year. So a lot of those guys who were strong considerations to be protected were guys that we, we went ahead and put on guys that we did bring up to the, the big leagues and give a taste. And, uh, and that was part of the factor of those decisions was we knew we were going to put those guys on the roster at the end of the year. And if we felt uh, convicted about that, why not go ahead and do it down the stretch when we may need an extra inning or two out of somebody or a few plate appearances. So those are conversations we're having right now. But I would say we, we've added a lot of the guys from this class already this season, and they ultimately came up and helped us in 2019. Uh, so just a handful, basically, does it yeah. look like? Yeah. Okay. Hey, James Rousen has left for Miami. Very upsetting to those of us who got to know him a little bit. A great guy, and uh, I, uh, I was a little surprised to see that. You know, I, I think we, we're very supportive of our staff uh, realizing their potential, and, you know, we hope they all can do it with us, uh, but we're also realistic about that. And people's hopes and dreams sometimes, unfortunately, require them to leave. And the one thing I'd say about James is, Technically, the the title says hitting coach, but he really transcended that role. He was so much more than that. He was such a big part of the morale and chemistry, both in our coaches' clubhouse, but also in our players' clubhouse. And you know, the the offense last year w- was exemplary, and and I think he deserves a ton of credit for galvanizing that group of men and keeping them confident against the backdrop of what even for a good offense is rife with failure. And so. He's going to be sorely missed. You know, we're not going to be able to replace him man for man, but we we're, we'll, we'll have somebody step into that role who undoubtedly will contribute in their own way, and we wish James certainly the best in his pursuits and his career as he goes down to Miami now. Uh, does hiring a replacement kind of uh, in limbo while the shakeup of seven or eight uh, coaching staffs around baseball is uh, takes place here? We have uh, you know all these new managers coming in, and I suppose you got to wait for it to shake down a little bit. It's a great insight. You know, I think we know who in our group is part of those managerial uh, interviews right now, uh, but the secondary wave we're expecting is going to be significant. And I think once the managers are in place, which a few have been p- put in place now, now we're bracing for the calls on the rest of our staff. We'll <laughs> see them as opportunities for promotion. So, no, you're absolutely right. I think there's two paths we can go, which is trying to fill each of these spots individually or maybe just waiting a minute and trying to figure out what are the spots in aggregate that we need to fill and what are the skill sets. Because as I mentioned, I don't think Rocco views any one staff member as simply the infield coach, the outfield coach, or the hitting or pitching coach. 
but rather you know an integral part of his coaching staff and he really evaluates what they contribute you know beyond just the scope of their job responsibilities and it's going to be important for us to fill all of those areas in some way shape or form with the changes we need to make one last question uh people are still trying to figure out what it takes so long in uh, major league baseball and uh, i think they told us uh, yesterday halfway through that game three two counts nobody goes after anybody is that a uh, it's sort of a spinoff of uh, everybody has to make a perfect pitch. What What's going on here? They just, with the home runs flying, everybody's afraid to just go after a guy? Well, you know, it's funny. They should have had us in the World Series because yes. we were a team that that wasn't really uh, willing to wait. Uh, that was kind of part of our offense. Yes, right. I think focus was that we attacked early in counts. We felt, you know, James Rousen stressed that, you know, the the first pitch you have to hit maybe the best pitch and the at-bats will be ready from the OO count but I think you're seeing that I think pitchers are trying to be absolutely fine I think umpires are trying to be perfect and yes. hitters are trying to do the best they can to get guys like Garrett Cole and Strasburg and and Granke and Verlander and the like and Scherzer out of games and so they're trying to work them a little bit more than maybe they they otherwise would have expected but I, I, I saw that too last night when they so said the percentage of at bats that were at least getting to three two counts, and it was staggering to hear. <laughs> yes, it was. Uh, I'm not sure it's it's the best thing for the flow of the game, but it is just speaks to the, how each and every one of these at bats is a bona fide ba- battle between pitcher and hitter. Uh, Thad, uh, thanks for your time, and it's going to be a busy off season for a team that won 101 games. There's a lot of stuff to do. It, without question, we're excited about it. We're excited <laughs> about the prospect. Uh, you know, we're aspirational of. of maintaining our strength in the American League Central while also trying to get better. So both of those things will be very formidable tasks this offseason, but I think we're up to it. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right. Uh, Thad Levine, Twins General Manager, here on the wrap-up Ricey and Manny on Baseball podcast. We shall be back someday, perhaps. But uh, this is uh, it for this season. Hey, we got the great Reavers in here, and uh, I want to talk a little ball with Manny and Reavers. Ricey and Manny on baseball. Chris Reavers, our uh, farmer partner on the uh, wonderfully uh, mediocre uh, race ride with Ricey. I think this is uh, the is, first time all three of yes, us have been on yes, the air since is. the last Since show, we all right? got fired. Uh, <laughs> uh, nobody loves baseball more than Reavers. Nobody watches it more than Reavers. Uh, of course, a lot of town ball. But... Here's what I want to ask you. I asked uh, Thad Levine the same question today. Well, we're both brilliant baseball What guys. are we going to do about these three two counts? Why doesn't anybody throw a strike? It's it's maddening. I, but, and it's it's the way they are being yes. coached. This is, this is not, development. Yes. It's not, uh, it's not uh, because a guy's afraid to go after anybody. It's they don't want him to go after anybody. It's all... You know, get to two and two and hope he chases. Mm-hmm. And when they don't chase, it's three and two. And what are we going to do? I don't know because it, it's it's a systematic issue, Pat. You're seeing this at I'm. You're seeing it in some cases in town baseball. And really? I'm not joking. It's yes. everywhere. Everybody's got to work the count. Swing the bat. <laughs> yeah, it, right. it, you that's know, why the game's fun. Well, it wasn't at Molitor. Didn't Molitor always say encourage guys that the first the first pitch oh, you the get first is pitch usually because he was and, and, no one was be- ready to hit more than and he as was. Levine pointed out to us, the Twins did that this year. They, mm-hmm. you know, Mitch Garver first pitch home runs. All I mean, he he didn't swing a lot, but when he swung, took a swing, it was with intent to mm-hmm. put it in play. Uh, but uh, it's here's the other part of it. They. If a ball is now one inch out of that box, 
guys are turning around and glaring at the umpire. Mm -hmm. Those mm -hmm. have been strikes for 100 years. Two inches off the plate has been a strike for 100 years. Especially when it's, you know, 8 to 1 yeah, well, in, even, in August. Even in a close, <laughs> you know, some of those pitches two dates ago that Cedarstrom uh, weren't calling. Did you see Saturday's oh, yeah. game? Oh, yeah. Those were at the bottom of the strike zone, mm -hmm. you know, and he's got bad knees and he can't bend over and look. Well, you know, A, Gary, who's the crew chief for the World Series, my not boy, uh, Gary traditionally you're supposed to call a strike where it goes over the front of the plate not where the catcher catches it otherwise the sinker ball is not going to be terribly it's effective non-existent exactly uh, but they got to loosen up the strike zone to make these the, the only solution i now see is to loosen up the strike zone you know to, what's going to happen make it 20 inches after something. that game and then some of these other you know what's going to happen this electronic strike zone's coming, and I that's that, yeah, yeah, but 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 that that that's not good enough. Those balls that are on that the ball is outside that line mm -hmm. by a five centimeters has to be a strike. Sure, and and I mean it was for a hundred years. That's why the game. I mean, there's a lot of reasons the game doesn't move like it used to move. Uh, you know, changing pitchers and all that stuff. But one reason we changed so many pitchers is there's so many 3-2 counts, so the pitch count the goes pitch up. counts are going up. And, you yeah. know, the other thing that occurred to me, I, I don't remember what, when I thought of this, either the, the Friday night game or the Saturday night game, but what, what I f find astounding is the, the, the adage used to be work the zone to get to the bullpen. Well, now all these good bull th these bullpens are good. You almost want to keep the starter in the game. Don't yeah, you think? But, but you do wear them out, and and it isn't it is instructive to me that the two teams with the deepest starting pitching in the uh, these two teams have the deepest starting pitching mm -hmm. in the majors, and yet Houston had to send out a guy they didn't really want to send out <laughs> and got five scoreless innings out of him. But they were advertising that as a potential bullpen game. So speaking of that, I was I was driving home when I was listening to the beginning part of the game on on fifteen hundred, and. Shulman and Singleton were talking about this kid who I honestly had never heard yeah. of until yeah. until he made the start. And then Singleton had such a great line. He said, well, he'll stay in as long as A.J. Hinch can tolerate his at-bats. Yes, right. I heard him say that. I was in the car, too, and I heard that. I guess he's the worst hitter of well, all time. They gave him a standing ovation to the dugout when he made contact. But That's amazing. Uh, if we go to the electronic strike zone, it's not going to help. It's, uh, you know, it, it would have helped some of those low pitches. But uh, we, uh, my theory is you got to paint the black white. You know, you sure. got you to sure. get that edge so it's still a strike. I mean, a guy mm -hmm. misses a, you know, it's a, here's a, it's four centimeters outside the strike zone. And John Smoltz, who pitched with Glavin and Maddox, who never threw a strike in their life. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, "Well, that was outside. Well, no, it's not. It's it's uh, you know, when that it, when an, when the guy turns around and bitches, and then and he said, well, that was out of the zone. That's two centimeters out of the zone. It's a strike. Mm -hmm. Swing yeah. the bat. If they don't do something about getting guys to swing the bat, I mean, I looked up Saturday's game, blowout, right." Uh, it becomes a blowout, and it, you get five strong innings from this kid, and it still was 348. Yeah. You know, it's still 348, and, yeah. you know, the first two are both four. But right? isn't part of that also the commercial breaks, too, in the World sure, Series? Sure, but, but mostly it's 3-2 counts. Yes. They, they, uh, uh, last night, 
halfway through the game, they said there'd been 63 or 64, 3-2 counts. And here's a, ca- yeah. here's a cautionary tale for all the Phil Mackeys of the world. That I'm not trying to take yeah. a shot at Phil, but yeah. that, that want the electronic strike zones. Look at how unwatchable football has now become because it's over-officiated. And that oh, is yeah. exactly the path that baseball will head down if they if they decide to go that route. Because I know people complain about the human element, but that's been a part of the game forever. It's part of its charm. Well, and the fact that, uh, you know, with the computerized, these guys have been now assessed for 20 years with the computer. Mm-hmm. They're better than they used to be. Oh, you look know, at, what was his name, Greg? Uh, Eric, Eric Greg. Eric Greg. Yeah. Greg. I, mean, you know. I need to put that tweet <laughs> still was, back at the, I need to pin that tweet back at the top of my account again. There was a few breaking balls that would have been on the other side of me if I was in the left-handed batter's box. Yeah. You know, which and the was emphatic armory. Yeah. Got him! <laughs> but Poor Fred McGriff want, had no shot, man. I don't shot, want man. that, but I don't want people, uh, you know, the NFL basically... You could tell last Sunday, uh, not this most recent Sunday, but the last after Booger or whatever his name is went nuts about the officiating in the Green Bay Detroit game. Mm -hmm. The NFL basically told these guys not to, you know, stop, not to, not to beat up on the officials like they were beating up. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Not to, yeah. That last Sunday there was very little. They they didn't show replays of holding of questionable holding penalties. Mm. Uh, you know, eight days ago. Sure. And uh, they didn't. You know, the NFL because of their clout with TV gives these guys orders. You know, and they they don't do anything. But my theory on baseball is they should tell these guys don't run the box. You know, you know, part of the deal. Don't run the box. Sure. I think you know the fans want it. We all want it now. Was that a strike? But you can't. Your your whole game shouldn't be. Is that a strike? Right. You know, if, mm-hmm. if it's right there, and it's an inch off the plate, so what? Let's go. Swing the bat. You know, it's funny you say that about football because I was at the Vikings game Thursday night, and I forget what call was made, or there was a case where it should have been. Or the replay should have been on the giant jump, and they didn't play no, it inside it. U.S. Bank Stadium. Wow. I wonder if that then. That same memo went to teams you know and what stuff, I too. Think, you know what I think? They decided that things were completely out of control the first half of the Viking game oh. a week ago Sunday. In, in Detroit. And they got a call. Oh, yeah. There's no question that Riveron, who must be a complete moron, called at <laughs> halftime and said, what are you guys doing? Because yeah. the second half was, was officiated way different. completely yep. different. Yep. But in baseball, you cannot make – Pitches that are an inch off the plate, controversial, which they've done. Mm-hmm. That wasn't a strike. Well, well, and the thing too is, if you if you do go with the electronic strike zones, you're telling these hitters if if something's called a strike and that hitter doesn't like it, sorry, got yeah. the, we got we got the electronic strike zone oh, now. Yeah, you, you can't do. say the anything. The green light just no. flashed. Yeah, the green light, the whatever you know, the umpire, the the little machine on his hip got buzzed. That's a strike. You can't. There's nothing you could say about it no, at that point. Yeah, that, well, that's true. And, they, and they're probably going to do it. But uh, if they do it, they better do it with a bigger zone mm-hmm. than they're doing it with now. I actually have a, mm-hmm. a, a key. Uh, here, here's how I think we can recruit the next generation of baseball fans. So I have my two boys, seven and four, about to be eight and five, and I can't get them to sit through a whole baseball game. But you know what I did the other night? On, on repeat, we played the Herbeck Gantt 
play over and over yeah. again. And <laughs> William looks at me and says, this is great. Like, like well, <laughs> buddy, this happened, you know, yeah. in 1991. Yeah. But that's yeah. what we need. I think replay might have overturned that. <laughs> even, though Tom, even though Kelly refuses to acknowledge that uh, – Kelly refuses to acknowledge that it might have been against the rules of fair play. <laughs> Remember about two years later, uh, some guy came sliding back in, and he basically belly flopped on him and then, hang, hang, you know, he basically— I don't remember that. Oh, yeah, mm. he bodies—this was not a playoff game, just a regular oh, game. Okay. But a guy comes diving back, and Herbie basically laid on <laughs> top of him when he was three inches short of the zone and then tagged him. And I wrote a column about the undefeated heavyweight champion oh. of first base wrestling. That was so <laughs> great. Well, because when Tappany pivoted, you know, when he got the cutoff there and Tappany pivoted to throw it to Herbeck, he thought, oh, and all of a sudden— was it Pat Corrales? Is that who the first base coach was for Atlanta? I think back so, then. Yeah. But he starts to lose it, then realizes I got to save Ron Gant, or he's going to murder the yeah, umpire. Oh, yeah, he's going he gonna to punch him. He's going to punch him as well. He should have. Oh, you know, God. unreal, just... unreal. That's what he's. That that was the favorite. My favorite Herbie, though. You know, Herbie could say the f word poetically. He, no, he had that Minnesota. Okay type of delivery you know that wasn't the you know it wasn't the new jersey you know kind of it was a you know like right. a like a resolved you know kind of gloomy and he said they gave a death threat to my bleeping mother <laughs> the next day they called it a death threat to my bleeping mother but it oh, was used God. in the term of, oh. you know She's the greatest woman in the world. Not, not that she's, you know. <laughs> so that was game two. Remember when they did the pregame? Well, she went to Atlanta and they called the hotel and in oh. looking for him. And they said we need. They called for Herbeck's room oh, and they. God. He was, you know, you know some. Chuck E. Cheese or something. Sure. He was he was registered under some other name, so he got their mother's hotel, he got Tina's hotel room. Because so. oh, wow. when he with the the introduction before Game Three, when they the fans went after him, and he he tips the cap and says, "Thank you, I love you too." Thought, oh, oh he's character. the greatest. What a character! Thank you, Mister. You Reed. got it, boys. All Anytime. Right. See you on Monday Night Sports Talk one of these days.